I'm your host, Brad Alvarez, and welcome to the Aging Services Podcast. In today's episode, I wanted to lead a deep dive into the history of Swedish senior housing. As we'll soon find out, Sweden has a storied history of serving the elderly through structured housing programs. And I think there's a lot to learn from other business environments such as Sweden's. As I've discussed before, it's already difficult enough to find educational content pertaining to senior living. And with such a dearth of resources, it's no surprise that mainstream media rarely covers these interesting international senior living concepts. So Sweden's senior living history is very unique to ours in the U.S. because the Swedes have been serving the older demographic through a substantially higher reliance on government care. This episode will explore how Sweden reached today's elder care policies, and will do so by briefly discussing the history of Sweden's evolving strategies to handle this increasing elder care need. In my first podcast, I highlighted how India faced a caregiver shortage when young Indians left the country for better opportunities. Well, in the early 1900s, Sweden experienced a similar dilemma. A huge exodus of young Swedish immigrants came to the U.S., which led to a rapidly aging population and too few remaining to care for the elderly. Initially, separate housing for the aid-seeking elderly was non-existent. However, developers and designers responded to the caregiver shortage, first with a concept called fristad, which included dorms for the elderly. These dorms differed quite a bit from prior housing options for Swedish elderly. For instance, Stora Skundal, built in 1905, offered a wide range of options, apartment flats, houses, and hostels with communal dining. Other communities offered single-gender senior living, some of which were incredibly niche. For instance, one community called Handelskarin's Heimgard was a community of 50 single-room flats specifically for retired saleswomen. Even in the United States today, I have not heard of anything that's specialized. For those that couldn't afford these better options, local poorhouses would take in the elderly. However, they'd be mixed in with the sickest and mentally ill. By 1910, these poorhouses could no longer handle the incoming elderly, so facilities were built specifically for older adults. By 1918, Sweden mandated that municipalities build old people's homes for the poor in a centrally run program. The success of these public old people's homes for the poor may surprise you. Coming from the U.S., there's such an obvious gap between senior living across income levels. However, the Swedes did such a good job with these homes that by 1940, wealthier seniors began moving into these communities too while offering to pay their share. These pensioners' homes, as they were called, also began to spring up around the country, providing subsidized housing and meals to elderly Swedes who had small pensions. It was a massive upgrade, yet remained insufficient considering Sweden's continually increasing need for senior housing. The government responded by changing their approach, now giving housing priority not to the poor, but rather to those in the worst health. In 1947, the Social Welfare Committee began to lay out the groundwork to expand that era's version of senior housing. However, two key factors changed the tides. First, economic troubles prevented cities from building as quickly as they'd have liked to. Furthermore, the author Ivar Lowe Johansson led a national campaign against such development, 
pleading that Sweden deinstitutionalize so that seniors could age at home instead. Lo Johansson spent time in old people's homes and claimed that they were degrading the elderly by removing an individual from their core identity. Under the catchy, the catchy mantra of home care, not care homes, he convinced the public that the senior housing option was substandard and that the expansion plan should be terminated. He continued to push for stay-at-home care, and by 1950, Red Cross became the first to provide this service. Other groups followed shortly after, and Sweden suddenly had a new home helper industry. Home health quickly gained favor. It didn't have the same association with poor houses that elderly homes did, so the upper and middle classes embraced them even more quickly. The state embraced them too, as they reduced the burden on an overburdened state system. As early as 1952, Sweden established a National Aged Care Committee. In 1956, this committee decided to encourage aging at home. By the end of the decade, 5% of Sweden's GDP was being spent on the elderly as they began receiving government assistance and home care. The nationalization of this plan led to economies of scale that reduced overall costs to the system. Not much changed until 1982, when the newly passed Social Services Act ensured that the elderly could access home and institutional care. But what I want to focus on is the truly groundbreaking reform that took place in 1992. The Adele reforms shifted focus of senior care away from central government and instead locally towards municipalities with the main objective of cutting Sweden's budget. It succeeded by helping Sweden to escape a national financial crisis, but they really just kicked the can down the road. Sweden had not done anything to mitigate the rapidly increasing medical costs for the elderly. Worse yet, unemployment had increased, which meant less Swedes contributing to the fund that these government initiatives were taking from. To keep the program afloat, municipalities tightened their requirements on senior eligibility, but this alone was not enough. A few clever municipalities realized that the Social Services Act required them to provide the services rather than administer them. Consequentially, many began outsourcing to the private sector. Now, a mix of family, public sector, and private sector ensure that elders' needs are being addressed. The private care increasingly takes on a bigger share of these needs. For example, in 1993, the state handled 98% of home care, but this figure dropped to just 19% of home care in 2010. As care was privatized, there were increasing concerns regarding quality. The concerns became serious enough that Parliament passed the Act on Free Choice Systems, which provided the elderly with vouchers to choose care providers. Rather than compete for government contracts, each provider is paid the same amount, which encourages smaller companies and nonprofits. Sweden is tackling quality concerns by increasing the level of competition. Local and national government have combined creative approaches to address the needs of elders, yet they've been insufficient. Family care is still two-thirds of elder care, which is actually twice as much as it was in the 1970s. This is tougher for elders relying on pension forms because the Swedes restructured their pension program. How an elder's pension is based on lifetime earnings rather than a set amount. It also limits pensions to those who have lived in Sweden for over 50 years, which will make old age more difficult than anticipated for immigrants. Though outsiders believe that this decision was very controversial, 
Swedes tend to view this program very favorably. It's worth noting here that the Swedes don't have to educate their market very much because senior housing has been ingrained in their culture for generations. Swedish expectations vary greatly than that of other nations I've covered in previous podcasts. A whopping 90% of seniors live on their own. For context, only one-third of American seniors live on their own, according to the Institute on Aging. Their continuum of care in Sweden has more options, like Servicehus, which falls between American IL and AL models. There's also a greater sense of age equality in Sweden, which differs so greatly from ageism in the U.S., or even the hierarchical concepts from China, India, and Japan. They lack the same stigmas, and their designs of senior communities and public spaces encourage multi-generational interaction. The Swedes understand the importance of family, but they want to keep seniors actively engaged in the communities apart from that and not stuck at home all day. This differs greatly from some of the other countries previously listed, in which seniors are more isolated than they are in Sweden. This is evidenced by the consistent theme of Swedish senior housing to utilize smart design to foster social connections. For example, Bellevue Park was built in 1998 in Malmo, and their unique building design incorporates visibility from stairways into kitchens and vice versa, and it provides residents with opportunities to interact with their neighbors. This is an advanced design concept for an IL design from over 20 years ago, and it's consistent with a thoughtful approach to aging. Sweden has two main concerns moving forward. They are a homogenous society and will have to adapt to meet the needs of different ethnic groups. Also, the Adele reform changed requirements such that an adult must have lived in Sweden for 50 plus years to be eligible for elder care. It will be interesting to see how a progressive society tackles diversity and if public policy shifts in response. Sweden's elder care has effectively transitioned from family care to central government to local government. Today, it's a little bit more complex, operating as a fusion of family, central government, local government, and the private sector. If nothing else, Sweden's century of senior living success establishes precedent for a mixed approach in addressing the needs of seniors. That's it for this episode. Stay tuned as we continue to explore interesting concepts in senior living. Thank you.